Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Good morning. How are we doing today, Summit Church? It's great to see you. I'm so glad you're here today. Thank you for worshiping with us. My name is Mel. I'm one of the pastors here at Summit, and I am so grateful that you're worshiping with us today. Thank you for being here for your guests. Please make yourself at home. Hope you have a great experience with us. If you're watching online, no matter where you may be or how you may be joining us, thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your day. We pray that God blesses you as you worship with us, whether you're watching from Facebook Live or maybe you're watching from our website at summitpa.church. We're so grateful that you're worshiping. Pray that God blesses you uh, as you join us today. I do want to remind you, every week during our 11 a.m. worship experience is our growth track. And growth track is for anyone, if you are new to Summit, if you are trying to figure out if you want to become a member or not, if you want to figure out how to serve, how to join a small group, you just have some questions, this is a great next step for you. It's free, it's register, you don't have to register, do anything like that. It's during our 11 a.m. worship experience every week. And I think it's so important for you to go to that, that I would tell you, if you could either only come to church or go to growth track, I would tell you go to growth track. And I mean that sincerely, because it's going to help you that much in your walk with Christ and just developing your giftings and helping you become who God wants you to be. So every week that's going on during our 11 a.m. worship experience, we'd love for you to get connected to that opportunity. I also want to let you know, um, we're obviously starting a new series today. If you normally don't attend Summit, this is not what our set normally looks like on stage. We normally don't have uh, creatures strewn about, but, uh, but we're starting a new series today, and this will go on for the next four weeks. Uh, but in the month of July, one of my favorite series of the year is coming up. It's called At the Movies. And if, you're not, if you haven't been part of Summit during one of our At the Movies series, it is one of our funnest series because what we do is we communicate the gospel. We never, ever, 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 ever water down what the Word of God says. But what we do is we illustrate what the Word of God says through a popular movie. So a movie that maybe you've seen, we use clips from the movie to illustrate the truths that God tells us in the Word of God. And so this is just... This is just a practical way to, uh, to expose people to the gospel. And so there might be people in your life, they're not interested in church, they would never ever come to hear a message, just a sermon, but if you told them, hey, man, we're doing this thing at my church and we got free popcorn because we're going to have popcorn and different things every week. Hey, this is what we're doing. They might be interested. So I would encourage you, invite them. So there's invites like this one out in the lobby. On one side, it's for Summer XP. On the other side, it's for At The Movies. Take some of these with you and invite some people that you know that maybe don't go to church anywhere and get them connected. Uh, this, might, this really could change their lives. So please take advantage of that. Um, how many of you know that, uh, that the devil is out to get us? I, I got to be honest with you, I had an experience this last week where that became very real for me, and I just want to tell you about something that's personal to me. I've been on this like, weight loss journey trying to get healthy, and, uh, and I found out this week that Meadows now does home delivery. So I need to let you know I have to move away now. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's the only reasonable option. 
<sighs> when they went to credit card, it was like, okay, you're making it harder on me, Meadows. And now that they will bring it to my house? What? <laughs> I'm going to gain all my weight back. Uh, we are starting a new series today, since we're talking about it. Uh, we're starting a new series today, and the series is called Man Cave. And uh, as you can see, the stage is designed to set up like a man cave. I actually had somebody earlier say, it looks exactly like a Western Pennsylvania man cave, as a matter of fact. <laughs> well, it sort of does. Uh, and I appreciate our friends over at Speedy Furniture who are allowing us to use the uh, camo recliner for this service. So if you're in the market for a camo recliner for your man cave, stop by Speedy, located next to Walmart in the shopping center. There you go. No, they're good friends. They, they attend over Saving Grace, and we love those guys. And I called them up and said, hey, I need a, I need a manly chair. for the, can, you, can I borrow one? And they're like, absolutely. So literally, they had it delivered the next day. They brought one over. This is how awesome they are. They brought one over, and they said, you know what? After we saw your stage, it's not manly enough. We've got, a, we've got one that's more manly. And we said, all right, that's fine. And they brought this one. And it was like, you're right. You're right. Uh, just so you know, though, the series, uh, it really... It is not specifically geared for men. Uh, what we're really talking about over the course of this series is we're taking different biblical examples of people who have spent some time in caves and what God did in them and through them, what he spoke to them, what he wanted to do beyond the cave, uh, because I think this is going to be a really important series for us, because every person in this room, every person that's watching online or listening to this podcast has dealt with a season in our life where we felt like we were in a cave. Every one of us have dealt with a season where we felt like there is no hope, I have no future, I'm not even sure if I'm going to be able to survive this. And you might be here today and you're dealing with a cave season. And you feel like, how did I end up in this place? If I really love Jesus, I wouldn't feel the way I feel. If I really love Jesus, I wouldn't need the medications I've got, or I wouldn't be depressed, or I wouldn't, whatever it might be. And so what I want you to hear today is this. Every one of us deal with seasons where we don't feel like we're enough. Every one of us deal with seasons where we feel like we're a failure, where we feel like we're a disappointment. Every one of us have been disappointed with our circumstances at times. We think my life was supposed to look different at this point than it does. We've all dealt with that. So I want you to know something. I'm not here to condemn you for feeling that way. But what I want you to do is I want you to hear my voice when I say this. I want you to know that you are not alone in that, that God sees you, he knows you, and he still loves you. And just because you're in that cave doesn't mean you can't hear his voice, doesn't mean he doesn't want to work in your life. In fact, he still wants to work in your life. There's things he wants to do through this season that he couldn't have done otherwise. And so that's what we're going to talk about during the course of this series. And, and we want to unpack what God does when we all inevitably end up in a cave. Um, so today, we're going to start this series uh, with... A guy named Elijah, he was a prophet uh, in Israel, and at the time, Israel and Judah had split the northern kingdom of Israel, and there was the southern kingdom of Judah, and Elijah was, uh, was a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel, and this is what it says in 1 Kings chapter 19. Most of our scripture today, most of our text will be in 1 Kings 19. We'll also refer to some to a few other passages, but that's where we're going to 
Well, that's where we're going to lock in today. First Kings 19.1 says Ahab, who was king, Ahab told Jezebel, who was his wife, all that Elijah, Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets of Baal with a sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. So he had killed the prophets of Baal and she says, Hey, may God kill me if I don't have you dead by this time tomorrow. So what she's basically doing is making a promise to her God that if I don't have this man dead, you should kill me, is what she's saying. She's making a vow before God. This is a big deal. Verse 3 says, then he, talking about Elijah, he was afraid and he rose and ran for his life. <laughs> that is the most human response you could possibly imagine, right? And came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. So he left the nation of Israel, went to Judah, and he left his servants there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under, uh, down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no longer better than my father's. So, so let me just set the stage for you. Elijah was one of the most notable, respected prophets of his time, really of all time. Uh, he was one of the only people, there were two people that were translated from earth to heaven without dying, and one of them was Elijah. He is revered in the Jewish community and Jewish faith. Um, he's honored in Jewish faith as one of the greatest of all the prophets. Uh, he did incredible, miraculous works. Uh, God used him in incredible ways. All kinds of good things happened through his life. And in this season, he was confronting a king named Ahab um, about his ungodliness. So to, to understand where we're at in this story, let us rewind just a little bit. If you go back to 1 Kings chapter 17, what we see in 1 Kings 17 is um, Ahab was evil. In fact, Scripture says that he outdid all of the previous kings of Israel with his evilness that he made, he made God more unhappy than any king previous to him. And one of the things he did that was so, um, so horrible was that he married a woman who was Phoenician. Her name was Jezebel. And that in and of itself is not a bad thing, but she worshiped false gods. So Phoenicians worshiped a number of different gods, one of whom was Baal. So she was a Baal worshiper. And so when she married uh, Ahab, he adopted her religion. So he laid down the religion of his fathers and his forefathers the, to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Yahweh, the one true God. He laid that down and they began worshiping Baal. So for all intents and purposes, Israel during the season, uh, they, they stopped being God worshipers and they started worshiping this false God, Baal. Uh, not only did they institute a different religion, but they actually began persecuting people who continued to worship Yahweh, the one true God. Uh, and it didn't even stop there. He actually allowed Jezebel to hunt down and kill the priests. And God finally said, this is enough. I'm done. And he sends Elijah, and Elijah shows up, and he talks to the king, and he says, king, I've got, I've got to tell you something. And this is what it says in 1 Kings 17. He says, it will not rain again until I tell it to rain. And... For us, we think, I would like somebody to tell it to stop raining, right? <laughs> My basement needs it to stop raining at some point. Uh, but, but think about it. If you're in an agrarian society where you can't just run to the grocery store and pick up some food, 
Your life is dependent on the rain because if there's no rain, there is no fruit, there is no harvest. If there's no harvest, uh, what are the livestock going to eat, right? If nothing is growing, then the cattle and the sheep and they're not eating anything. So what's going to happen is you're going to have a famine. So what what Elijah is saying is you better buckle up, buddy, because there is a famine coming to the land and it's not going to get better until I give the word. Now, You could understand how, if you were the king, you might be a little ticked off about that. And so what we see is for the next three years, it did not rain in Israel. And famine gripped the land. People were dying. Uh, Crops were gone. Animals were dying. Ahab and Jezebel were hunting down the priests. And in fact, there was a man named Obadiah. He was head of the house of Ahab. And he was secretly a worshiper of God. And he had... He had sequestered away a hundred priests of God and hidden them. He had hidden them in caves so that they wouldn't be killed. And he would secretly feed them and give them water to keep them alive. All this is going on. And and Elijah is the most wanted man. If there was a top ten list, Elijah would have been at the top of the most wanted list. So Elijah shows up and he sees Obadiah and he says, Hey, I want to see the king. And Obadiah says, this is, this is bad news because they're looking for you. And this is the thing. If I go to get the king and you're not here when I come back, the king is going to kill me. So I don't want to die, right? That's a bad thing. So, um, so I'm not going to go get the king. And he says, I promise I won't leave. I'm not going to let you die. And so sure enough, he goes and gets the king. And when the king comes to greet, um, to greet Elijah, it says in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 17, When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? I love this. Um, (laughs) It's funny that the, the person who had the furthest relationship from God, who was actually the cause of the problems, blamed the preacher. I mean, that doesn't happen today, ever, but. Uh, last week, I had the opportunity to, to speak at another church on their midweek service, and uh, one of the things I like about speaking in other places is I can say whatever I want. <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm honest and truthful. I want to speak truth and love here, but um, if I'm speaking somewhere else, I'm never coming back, so I can... I'm just blowing it out, like, all right, what? Yeah, you're living in sin. You're living in, you know, like. So I was having this conversation with this couple after church, and we were talking about their situation, and we're having these struggles and these challenges. And uh, I said, well, how long have you guys been together? I said, well, 14 years, I think is what they said, and they have the two kids. I said, okay, so you've been together 14 years. How long have you been married? And they just kind of, uh, uh, well, uh, well we, we know we need to, but we're not married. Well, do you think maybe the reason you don't feel like God's blessing your relationship is because God can't bless something that he prohibits, that he forbids? And well, and so I said, okay, here's the thing. Go get married. <laughs> they said, well, we know we need to. And I said, well, what's keeping you from it? You're practically married, so go get married, right? And here's why. And I gave him, and I was really direct with him, and I tried to speak truth and love to him, and I said, okay, thanks. And they walked out. They were the last ones out. And the pastor was in the back of the room and he came up. He said, thank you so much. He said, I was just giggling while you were saying that. Thank you so much, right? 
They're not going to get mad at me. They're going to get mad at their pastor if he says that stuff to them. So that's why I never, ever say stuff like that to you people. (laughs) So what happened? Ahab goes, hey, you troubler of Israel, it's your fault we're in famine. It's your fault there's no rain. And Elijah's like, no, 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 last time I checked, you're the one who instituted Baal worship, right? So he just turns the tables on him and goes, no, 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 look at yourself, my man. Let's, let's talk about this. Let's put it in proper perspective. And so he corrects it, and while they're talking, he, I love this, because he says, hey, you know what? Let's, put, let's, let's do a, have a contest. How about that? Let's have a contest. You get your prophets of Baal, and you set up an altar, and, and I'm going to show up because I'm the only prophet in, left, and, and I'm going to show up, and I'm going to build an altar, and we're going to bring the people of Israel, and we're going to have a... We're going to have a duel. How about that? And we're going to put sacrifices on the altar, and whichever sacrifice is consumed by fire, that is the one true God. Deal? Deal. And this is the biblical equivalent of meeting somebody at the flagpole after school. Okay? That's what this was. I almost imagine, like, the West Side Story theme and, like, their right? Like, that's almost what I imagined if this was a musical, but it's not. It would be the worst musical, by the way. So they show up, and they start early, 6 a.m. Aren't you glad church doesn't start at 6 a.m.? Some of you would be much less spiritual if church started at 6 a.m. They showed up at 6 a.m., and they begin worship, and they say, okay, you guys go first. So the Baal worshipers go first. And they begin crying out to Baal. They're screaming and yelling. And part of their worship was to actually cut themselves. And to, it was a bloodletting. And so they would release blood as a sign of sacrifice for their God. And they would do, and they were crying out literally for hours and hours and hours and hours. This is going on. And what we see in 1 Kings 18, 27, it says, At noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he's is musing, or he's relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. I love Elijah so much. I, I love the fact that he's being so, so sarcastic here. Because as your pastor, you might know this, I've got like a tiny, like a little tiny bit of sarcasm. Like, I mean like... A, a tiny little shred, barely any, but sometimes I can be sarcastic. And I love that I feel somewhat vindicated by Elijah here. I don't know if I should or not. But I love this. Let me put this in, in our language today. This is what he was saying. Uh, so they're crying out. They're screaming. They're hollering. And this is, this is what he would be saying. Hey, man, maybe he's not hearing you. Maybe he went on vacation and he's not around. So maybe you need to yell louder. You know what? Maybe he got busy with a project around the house. So maybe you need to just scream a little loud. You know what? He might be in the bathroom. And if he's in the bathroom, that door is closed. So yell even, right? Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's, he's out taking a nap. So maybe you need to wake him up. Wake him up. Yell louder. And so they do. They, they yell louder. They're cutting themselves. And finally, this all comes to an end because there is no response, as you would expect, because there is no God like our God. <laughs> so then Elijah builds an altar. He builds an altar that's reminiscent of the altar that, um, or the m- monument that uh, Jacob built. Um, if you look 
the story of Jacob. He wrestled the angel of the Lord. And when he is done with this moment, this interaction with, with God, um, he recognizes the fact that this was, in fact, God. And he says, hey, this is the house of God. And he built, it's Bethel. Bethel It's where we get the word Bethel. It means house of God. And so what he does is he builds um, a monument, these 12 stones to represent each tribe of Israel. And this is what we see that Elijah does. He builds, takes 12 stones representing each tribe of Israel. He builds an altar of wood. He digs a trench around the altar. He lays the sacrifice down. And if you've ever tried to start a fire with wet wood, you know how, how frustrating that is. It's just impossible. And so he said, to, to make sure that no one's mistaken, to make sure that nobody thinks this is a fluke, we're going to wet down this altar. He was so confident about what his God would do that he said, I, I don't want to make it too easy for God. So he said, let's put some water on this. And they put seven gallons of water over the altar, so much so that the trench filled up around. And then he began to pray, and he prayed very simply, and he didn't, he didn't, um, he didn't require anything extravagant. He didn't have to cut himself. He just prayed a simple prayer. And the fire of God fell from heaven and it consumed the sacrifice. It didn't just consume the sacrifice, it consumed the wood that the sacrifice was on. It didn't just consume the wood and the sacrifice, it also consumed the stone and also licked up the water that was in the trenches. So complete was this work that the people responded and they said, the Lord is God. In that moment, they, they said there is no other option other than to recognize the God of Elijah is the one true God. So when they look at this struggle, when they look at this, this, this conflict, they recognize there is no God but the God of Elijah. And Elijah's feeling pretty good about himself. And he says, okay, we're going to end the apostasy in, this, in the nation of Israel right now. Uh, we're going to take the lives of these false priests, uh, according, to, according to Jewish law. And so they took them down, and the 450 prophets of Baal were put to death that day. So then he goes to the king. And I love what he says when he goes to the king. Remember, there's been famine and drought for three years in the land. He's the most wanted man by the king. And this is what he says in 1 Kings 18, he says to the king, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. What he's saying is, hey, king, when he says eat and drink, what he's saying is, you, you need to go have a party because there's rain coming. Again, I love the boldness of the prophet. He, he said, um, I hear the sound of the rushing of rain. Now, this is a faith statement he's making. Because if you looked at the sky, there was no rain. It's easy to say it's raining if it's raining, right? But there had been drought for three years, animals dying, people dying, no harvest for three years. Can you imagine no harvest for three years? And he says, hey, I hear the sound of the rushing of rain. And what we see happen next is he goes back up to Mount Carmel and he bows before the Lord. He puts his head between his knees and he begins to pray and he prays, God, send the rain. Then he asks his assistant, hey, is it raining? No. You see any clouds? Go check. He comes back, no clouds. All right, let's pray again. 
This happened seven times. On the seventh time, his assistant comes back. He goes, okay, I got to be honest with you, boss. I'm looking, and maybe I'm just, like, my eyes are fatigued. So I'm looking at the sky. It's hard to see. I'm, I'm not sure. But I'm looking, and I, I think I see a little cloud. Maybe it's about the size of a man's fist is what I see. And for some of us, we'd go, well, great. That's no good. But not Elijah. He was a man of faith. And he said, hey, that's, that's all we need. He said, hey, God's going to send the rain. He said, go tell the king, because the king was eating. He was partying. He said, go tell the king, if he doesn't get in his chariot and go to Jezreel now, he's not going to be able to go, because the rain's going to come too hard. It's going to rain too much. He's going to be stuck. That chariot's going to be stuck in the mud. He's not going to be able to make it. So you tell him to go get on his way to Jezreel right now. And Jezreel was an important community. It was a military institution. It was known as the city of chariots. And so he goes to the king, and the king does, in fact, get in his chariot and goes. This is what I would tell you today. This is a side note, by the way. Some of you feel like you've got a drought in your life. Some of you feel like you've got a famine in your life. Some of you feel like you haven't seen any harvest for years in your life. And you're wondering if it's ever going to end. And I'm telling you today, by faith. I hear a sound of a rushing of the rain. And you might be discouraged and you might be frustrated and you might be disappointed. You might feel hopeless, but I'm telling you, there's reason to hope. There might be a cloud the size of a man's fist, but there's reason to hope. So don't give up. Don't get discouraged. By faith, I hear the sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab goes to Jezreel, the city of chariots, in his chariot. And Elijah decides he wants to go too. And I love what Elijah does. He actually takes his cloak and he tucks it up. It's the, the phrase, we've talked about it before, he gird up his loins is what it says in some versions. But what he does is he tucks his cloak, his tunic up into his belt so that he can be active and he runs. He begins running. I hate running so much. As a matter of fact, I don't even run to the door when Meadows delivers to my house. I don't want to run, right? There's no running. But Elijah ran. And what we see in scripture is that God supernaturally empowered him to outrun the chariot to Jezreel. He, that was 14 miles, by the way, that he ran from where they were at Mount Carmel to Jezreel. Now, this is what I would tell you again. This is, by the way, nobody else got this in the other services. This is bonus coverage for you. There is scripture in Psalm that say, some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but I trust in the name of the Lord. What we're talking about here is our, our willingness to trust in God rather than man-made things. See, a chariot, it's easy to trust in. A job, it's easy to trust in. My income is easy to trust in. My, my, my social standing is easy to trust in. It's hard to trust in God. An unseen God, especially when we're believing by faith for something, when we're believing that we're coming out of a drought, when we're believing we're coming out of a famine. And I'm telling you today, some of us have spent far too long trusting in ourselves, trusting in the strength of chariots, when we see that the only place we can really put our trust is in the name of the Lord, our God. So Elijah beats him to Jezreel. He's waiting on him when he shows up. 
<laughs> I can imagine him standing, it's like at the gate, like, hey, king, what took you so long, right? <laughs> and it did not go well for Elijah and Jezreel because Ahab gets to Jezreel and he begins to tell his wife, remember, who was a Baal worshiper, about the experience at Mount Carmel, the experience with the priests of Baal. God, that is so incredible. Man, the God of Elijah, he consumed. I, it was awesome. I couldn't believe it. I've never seen anything like it before. And wow, that's, that's crazy. What, what, happened to, what happened after that? Well, I mean, he killed the prophets of Baal. He, what, what, I'm sorry, what was that? He killed the prophets of Baal. He killed the prophets of Baal? Yeah, he did. I could imagine her saying, where, where am I supposed to go to church this weekend? All my pastors, right? This is a deep loss for her. Not only that, it was her pride. And that's when she issues the decree, this, this threat that Elijah's going to be dead. And remember, think about all the miraculous things that have just happened. He says it's going to stop raining, and it stops raining. He says it's going to start raining, and it starts raining. He calls down fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice. He takes the life of the prophets of Baal. He supernaturally outruns the chariot to Jezreel. All these things have just happened. And then he gets a death threat, and he's afraid, and he runs away. See, the thing that's incredible about this, I want you to see the humanity of this man of God. He was a normal man that was used by God in incredible ways, and yet, just like us, when his life is threatened, when his happiness is threatened, when his comfort is threatened, when his peace is threatened, he runs away. <laughs> he ran. Let me pick it up in verse 5 of Kings chapter 19. It says, And he lay down... And slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. This is not Oakmont Bakery cake, by the way. This is similar to like what your cracker was that we took communion with earlier. That was more like the cake that he's talking about here. <laughs> no cream filling, okay? Verse 7. And the angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. Now, I want you to catch what he says. Because the angel of the Lord says, Arise and eat, just like he did the day before. And he says, For the journey is too great for you. And then what happens? He eats and he's supernaturally sustained for 40 days and 40 nights on his journey to Mount Horeb. And now Mount Horeb is also another name for it is Sinai. Uh, and this is significant. We'll come back to that in just a moment. So what the angel of the Lord says is, hey, what God is going to have you do is too great for you. You can't do it in your own strength. So the only way you're going to do what God is asking you to do is to be supernaturally sustained by God to do it. I want you to hear this, because so many of us want to live a supernatural life for the glory of God. We want to do great things for the glory of God, but we're not willing to be sustained by the supernatural in order to walk in the supernatural. We want to live our normal life, our natural life. We want to do the things we feel comfortable doing, because let's be honest, in that moment, he didn't want to walk in the supernatural life. He wanted to die under the broom tree there, Right? And the angel of the Lord is saying, no, 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 I've got, 
a journey for you. God's got something in store for you. So in order to walk in that, you've got to be sustained by God to do that. And I'm telling you today, in order to do what God's asking us to do, in order to live the life that God dreams for you to live, you can't be sustained by natural means. The food of this world will not suffice to go on the journey that God wants you to go on. If we try to do that, we will fail because we'll be doing it in our own strength. The only way to do it is to say, God, I want you to sustain me. I want to live the life that you've called me to live so I can walk the path that you've called me to walk. And he will sustain us. Sinai, or Mount Horeb, was important because uh, it was known as the mountain of God. And this was the mountain that Moses met with God at, and God gave him the Ten Commandments. Uh, a number of significant historic events happened at this mountain, and that's why it's called the Mountain of God. It's also one of the highest peaks on Mount Sinai. So, so do you think it was an accident that God was going to take him from wanting to die under a broom tree and say, no, I've got a journey for you. I'm taking you to the Mountain of God? I think that was, a pur- I think that was purposeful. I think God knew exactly what he was doing. Hey, I'm going to take you to the place that I have met with my men before, that I've had conversations, that, that Moses has seen my glory right? I'm going to take you to that place. That's where you need to go because I want you to hear something. And so sure enough, this is what happens. First uh, Kings 19.9, it says, there he came to a cave. So he goes to the mountain and he comes to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He comes to the cave, this place of refuge, And God says, what are you doing here? I can imagine God brought him there for a purpose, but I think the purpose that God brought him there for and the purpose that Elijah went there for are two different things. <laughs> Elijah thought he was going to get away from the world. I need, I need to hide. My life is in danger. Uh, everything I expected has gone down the tubes. I thought my life would look differently than it does now. I'm afraid that the queen is trying to kill me. And the truth is, many things take us to the cave. For Elijah, it was fear. He was afraid of what would happen to him. He was afraid of losing his life. For some, it's exhaustion. We live with so little margin in our life. Relational, spiritual, emotional, financial. We have no margin, and so we operate on the fringes of health. Many times we cross that line and we're unhealthy and we wonder why it takes us to a place of hopelessness, insecurity. Who am I? Who is God? Does he really love me? How could he love me? Doubt, disappointment, all these things can lead us to a cave. I want to remind you, it's not a sin to be in a cave. God can do some of his biggest things in a cave. But if we stay in the cave long enough, it leads us to hopelessness. And hopelessness, I think, is a sin. 1 Kings 19.10 says this. He, he responds to God when God says, what are you doing here? He says, I've been very jealous for the Lord. What he's really saying is, I've been zealous about your work I've, I've been your top worker. I've showed up early. I've left late. You know, I've been doing everything for you. 
And he says, For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Um, We become irrational when we're in the cave. We fail to see facts when we're in the cave. What happens is all we see is what we feel. I feel alone. I feel hopeless. I feel like there's no future. I feel like everybody's out to get me. I feel, I feel, I feel. And all that stuff becomes reality for us. The reality is Elijah wasn't alone. Remember what I said earlier, Obadiah, he he had sequestered away a hundred priests. There were a hundred men of God left in Israel. He had just come from Mount Carmel where the nation of Israel had responded and said, yes, the Lord is the one true God. And yet in this moment in the cave, he says, no, I can't believe any of that. What I can believe is what I feel. And I feel alone and I feel hopeless. I feel like I just want to die. And our our God is so good. He doesn't condemn him. He doesn't squash him. He, He responds to him again in a different way. Um, God says, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. So he says, come out of the cave, is what he's saying. Get out of the cave, come out here and, and meet me. And it says, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. Um, (laughs) So many of us think that our experience with God, it has to be dramatic and big. And we expect that that when we surrender our lives to Christ, there's going to be a light shining on us from heaven and the hallelujah course is going to play. And that doesn't happen. And God knew, Elijah's not hearing me. Because I asked him a question, what are you doing here? And his response didn't really answer my question. So he says, I'm going to speak to him in a different way. And so he showed up with the wind. And he showed up with the earthquake and with the fire. But God wasn't in any of that. He wasn't speaking through that. And the thing that's ironic is, he does speak through those things. But in those moments, he didn't. In fact, just a little bit earlier in the story, remember what God did? He showed up in fire. He consumed the sacrifice. And I think one of the dangers of our walk with Christ is that we expect the way we've seen God speak to us in the past is the way he'll speak to us in the future. And so what happens is we pigeonhole God and we go, God, you can only look this way. You can only act this way. You can only talk this way. And I'm not going to hear you unless you talk this way. And I want you to know something. That is wrong for us to do that because our God is a wildly creative God. He can't be pigeonholed. So he wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the fire. And then it says, after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. <clears throat> in the original Hebrew, the, the literal translation, I love this, instead of a low whisper, it, it would be a thin silence. A lot of us are good at a lot of things, but man, so many of us are bad at silence. Silence. 
we need noise all the time. We've got to have the television on, the radio. We've got to have, be listening to music, pot, something. We've got to have some kind of noise in our lives. And the truth is, the noise of our life drowns out the thin silence of God. Some of us are wondering why we haven't heard from God in a while. And it's not because not, God's not speaking, because he is speaking. The problem is we're not always listening, because we expect God to show up in the wind and in the earthquake and in the fire, but sometimes he shows up in the thin silence. One of the things that's interesting about a whisper, and if you're talking to somebody, if you're in a group, in a, in a room with people, and you've got somebody you're talking to, and you need to tell them something that's a little more personal, a little more private, and you, you whisper to them, what happens? You step in, don't you? Come here. You maybe put your arm around them. There are times, even with my girls, that I'll, I'll whisper to them. I'll pull them real close. <laughs> I'll put my mouth right next to their ear and I'll say something like, I love you so much. And I'm so close that they can feel my breath on their ear. Did you know dad's crazy about you? And this is what I think God wants. He wants to pull us so close. He wants to be so intimate with us that when he has that, that whisper, with that, that thin silence, we can feel his breath on our ear. So many of us are so terrified of silence that we will never, ever, 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 ever get that close to God. But I'm telling you today, in the cave, when we feel like we're all alone, when we feel hopeless, when we feel like we don't have a future, God wants to pull us in close. He wants to whisper to us. He wants us to hear his voice. You think God's silent. I promise you, he's not. He's speaking to you question is, are you listening? Are you expecting him to speak in the way he spoke before? Act the way he acted, did do exactly what he did before? Maybe he won't. That's where we have to be open to listen. Even if it means getting rid of the noise around us so that we can hear the thin silence that he's speaking to us. 1 Kings 19, 13 says this, and when Elijah heard it, <laughs> I love this, again, the humanity of Elijah, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance and behold, there came a voice to him, this thin silence, and it said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Did you catch that? God spoke the same thing. <laughs> he wants Elijah to get this. And he whispers to him, what are you doing here? You don't belong in this cave. You were not made for this cave. This is not where you're supposed to live and spend the rest of your life. I've got a future for you that does not include you dying in this cave. And Elijah's response, this is priceless. He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I alone, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. I think at this point God realizes he is not hearing me, right? He doesn't recognize, he's so lost in his feelings that he doesn't recognize that I've got a future for him that is beyond this place, that's beyond this cave. And I'm so thankful God didn't go, fine, you stay in that cave. He said, no, 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 I'm not done with you. I'm not finished with you. 
I've got something for you beyond this cave. And the Lord said in verse 15, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu to be son of Nimshi. Uh, I'm sorry, Jehu, son of Nimshi, you shall appoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, son of Shaphat, you shall anoint to be the prophet in your place. And what he's saying is, there's a legacy that can only happen if you get out of this cave. There's a legacy that, that it will not transpire if you don't get out of this place. See, there's a legacy for us if we can see God's purposes and plans, if we can hear his voice and step out of the cave that we're in. See, he was basically saying, I've got a plan that doesn't end now. It doesn't end in this cave. It doesn't end with your life. So go get to work. Verse 17 says this. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. I want to come back to this thought. When we're in a cave, one of the things that we identify with, and one of the things we feel so strongly is, I'm alone. Nobody sees me, nobody knows me, nobody can ever know what I've experienced because nobody's been through what I've been through. And that feeling of isolation doesn't get better, it only gets worse if it's not attended to. This is why when people get in this place, they, they stop going to their small group, they stop serving, they stop coming to church, and they just drift away. And they'll blame the church, but ultimately it's what's going on in their own heart that causes them to walk away from relationship, walk away from community because that cave is isolating. And Elijah said it. He says, I'm the only one left. They killed all the prophets, right? They're out to get me. My life is over. Nobody's experienced what I'm experiencing. I'm all alone. And I love how God responds. God tells him, hey, I've got a future for you. I've got, I've got a, a plan that includes you leaving this cave, but he also says, hey, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to raise up a remnant of people in Israel. There are 7,000 that have never bowed their knee to Baal. There's 7,000 that have never kissed him. What he's saying is they've never given their heart to him. They've never surrendered themselves to him. And what he's saying is you're not alone. You're not alone, Elijah. You think you're alone. You feel alone. I want you to know you're not alone. Today, some of you might be in a cave, and you think nobody's been through what I've been through. Nobody's experienced what I've experienced. Nobody hurts like I hurt, so I'm alone. And what happens is our own insecurity, our own lack of vulnerability keeps us in that place because if, if people knew what you've been through, there would be some people that would go, oh my gosh, I've been there. My, my circumstance is different than yours, but, but I think I feel some of what what you feel. We've got people in our church that have lost children. I've never lost a child, but there are people in this room that have, and when we can be vulnerable enough to go, man, I hurt because I've lost a child. There are people in this room that would rally around you and go, man, I've lost a child too. I know what it's like. But the problem is many of us won't be vulnerable enough to go, hey, I struggle with this. Hey, I feel insecure about this. Hey, I, this is how I feel. And so as a result, we all walk into church and we all put on the front and the show and hey, brother, hey, brother, 
Things are great. My life is good. And as a result, we stay in our caves. But I want you to know is you're not alone. There's a remnant of people. <laughs> there are people in this room. Oh, man. Thank God we're not perfect. <laughs> We've all got our issues and our baggage and our junk and our hurts and our pains and our disappointments and our failures. And because of that, it allows us to walk through those things together if we'll be vulnerable about it, if we'll be honest about it. And I want you to know you're not alone. Even if it wasn't for the people in this room, even if it wasn't for the 7,000 remnant in Israel, God could say you're not alone because I, I, I lo- it sounds like a cliche to say it, but the God of the universe was with Elijah in that cave, speaking to him, trying to help him see what truth was, trying to help him see you've got a future in me if you'll just hear my voice, if you'll just be obedient what I'm asking you to do. Will you trust me? Will you see that you're not alone? Will you lean in and let me whisper in your ear the truth that I want you to hear? Because you're not alone, I'm here with you. I think somebody needs to hear that tonight. You're not alone. You might feel like you got a death sentence. You might feel like you're sitting in a cave. But I feel like the Holy Spirit's telling us today, and he's speaking to you directly, you're not alone. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. Let me pray with you. Lord, thank you so much that we're not alone. Thank you, Lord, that your son, Jesus, is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So God, I pray right now for those that are in this place that feel like they're in a cave. Lord, I pray you would open up our eyes to truth. Help us not believe our feelings. Help us to believe what we know. God, help us to to see how good you are, that you are a good father and you are able to help us. So God, if you're silent or if, if you're not responding to our prayers the way we expect, maybe there's something we need to see in the cave. Maybe there's something we need to learn. Maybe there's something we need to hear. So God, I pray that you'd Prepare our hearts to be obedient to you, to hear from you, to respond to you in a way that will bring you glory. So God, I pray that you would comfort those that are hurting here today. They're hurting in in silence and in isolation. Nobody knows it. Help them see they're not alone. Help them see that they have a future beyond this moment, beyond this feeling. Help them see that they're not horrible for feeling the way they feel. But God, I pray that you'd help them submit those feelings to you and trust you deeply with what they're going through. God, I pray that you truly would be our comforter and send your Holy Spirit to do the work in our hearts that we can't do on our own, that no counselor can even do, that no amount of therapy could do. God, there's a supernatural work that you can do, and I'm asking that you would do that today. Lord, I pray for those that are here that don't know you, that aren't in relationship with you, let today be the day that they would surrender everything to you, that they would hear your voice drawing them, calling them, and today would be the day they would surrender to your call, they would surrender to your voice to come home, and they'd give you everything. All their fear, all their doubt, all their insecurity, all, all their baggage, let today be the day they give it all to you. I thank you that you love us, you are perfect God, and you love us perfectly even though we are so radically imperfect. God, I pray that uh, that would not keep us from coming to you today. 
So God, I pray against an enemy who would whisper in our ears that, that we're failure, that we're not enough, that we can't be loved, we've, we've gone too far. God, I pray that your truth, your perfect love would drive out all fears. So God, have your way with us to this morning. Speak to us. Now, with nobody looking around, I just want to ask you, if you're here today and you say to me, Mel, what you described is me. I'm not really walking with God. I'm not in relationship with God. Maybe you've said a prayer from time to time. Maybe you prayed a prayer of, of dedication to Christ at some point, but you recognize you're not walking with God. You've never really surrendered your life to him. But today is the day. You're going to respond to his voice and you're going to give it all to him. This is the perfect day to do it. It's now is the perfect time to do it. So I just want to invite you to say, that's me. So if that's you, would you be bold enough to slip your hand up real high where I can see it and you can put it right back down? Is there any you'd say, Mel, pray for me. Today's my day. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. I want to surrender it all to him. Yeah, thank you in the front row. Yeah, thank you on my right. Thank you on my left side in the back. Thank you so much. Yeah, I see you, sir. You can put your hand down. Praise the Lord. Who else? Yeah, thank you over here on my right. Praise God. Praise God. Who else? Anyone else want to join these and say, Mel, pray for me. Today's my day. I want to surrender it all to God. All right. I'd like every person in this place, whether you raised your hand or not, to pray this prayer with me out loud. Say this, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you gave your life to pay for my sins. From now on, my life belongs to you. I turn away from my past, my failures, and from now on, I am yours. Use my life for your glory and help me hear your voice in my cave. I love you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, come on, let's give God a round of applause today. I just want you to know, if you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, Scripture tells us you're a new creation, that the old is gone and the new has come. And if you prayed that prayer with us today, whether you raised your hand or not, I just want you to know how proud I am of you, how excited I am for you. I can't wait to see what God's going to do in your life. And we would love to help you take the next step in your faith journey. And so if you prayed that with us today, uh, take just a moment. And you can take the card that's in the seat back in front of you. You can fill it out. Uh, the side of the card that says uh, salvation, there's on one side that says need prayer and the other side that says salvation. Fill out the side that says salvation. Take it over to our info center. When we finish here, they're going to give you a free Bible. And they're going to help you get started or restarted on your faith journey so that, uh, so that you can become who God wants you to be. You can begin to hear the voice of God more clearly. We want to help you do that. If you're watching online and you prayed that prayer with us, we want to help you take the next step as well. You can simply text the word salvation to the number 555888. And when you do that, we're going to respond back. And we're going to help you find a church in your area that you can begin to grow in your faith with, whether it's here in Indiana or somewhere around the world. So God bless you and thank you so much for worshiping with us today. Here's what's going to happen now. The worship team's going to lead us in one final song. We're going to praise our good God together. And while we're doing that, our prayer team's going to come up and they'll be on either side of the stage. And if you need prayer for any reason at all, no matter what it may be, uh, as we begin to sing, step out from your seat, find one of them, let them agree with you in prayer. And then in just a moment, we're done singing, our youth pastor, Ricky Ingram, uh, sitting right there, he's going to come up and he'll close us out and dismiss us. So why don't you stand your feet all over the room. We're going to worship together one more time before we go today, guys. I tell you often, I hope you know it, I love you more than you know, and I'm so glad that I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys. Have a great day.